If you're new, my name is Jamie, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Luke chapter 9 will be found on page 866. If you're kind of new to the Bible, chapter numbers are the big numbers, the verse numbers are the little numbers. And we're going to be reading from verse 10 down to 17 under the heading that says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Aside from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. So it's a rather important one, and I'm thankful that we get to consider it together. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 10, I'll read the whole section and then pray for the Lord's help on our time together. And then we will consider it as we work through it verse by verse. Hear now the word of the Lord. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them. And spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're going to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in need of you to enable us to understand your word. Please give us your Holy Spirit. Please speak to us. Please remind us of your good provision and that you are our good provider. Do this for Jesus' sake and for Jesus' praise. And all God's people said amen. George Mueller was a German who spent his 92 years, most of it, in Bristol, England during the 19th century. He pastored the same Baptist church for 66 years. He preached around the world. He did work for D.L. Moody. He filled in for Charles Spurgeon. He was an inspiration to the missionary Hudson Taylor. But George Mueller was not and is not known for any of those things. George Mueller is best remembered for his trust in God's provision. 
When he came to Bristol in 1832, immediately he noticed a huge need in the city. A cholera outbreak had left the city with hundreds of orphans living on the streets and begging and stealing. With 50 cents in his pocket, he decided that he would open an orphanage, and the Lord provided. A couple of years later, he and his wife opened the first orphanage and housed 30 girls. God would continue to provide, and over the next several decades, he would build four more orphanages. And over the course of his life, it is estimated that he cared for more than 10,000 orphans. He would go on to establish more than 100 schools and offer education to over 120,000 students. And throughout his entire lifetime, George Mueller never asked a single person for money, except for one, his Heavenly Father. His ministry was built entirely on prayer and trusting the Lord to provide. So they would have no money for the orphanage, and they would pray, and often miracles would happen. Minutes after they finished praying, support would come in. One famous provision of the Lord came one morning in the orphanage while the children stood looking at empty plates for breakfast. And George Mueller led the children in prayer, saying, Father, we thank you for the breakfast that you have provided. And there was a knock on the door, and the baker stood there. And he told him, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. I feel the Lord wanted me to get up and to bake bread for the children. And after the baker left, there was another knock on the door, and it was the milkman whose milk cart had broken down just in front of the orphanage. And he offered to unload all of his fresh milk so that he could repair his cart. These kinds of things happened often in George Mueller's ministry. He became known for his calm trust in the Lord to meet his needs. Mr. Mueller insisted that this was not an unusual thing and that he was not a man of unusual prayer. This is how all Christians ought to be in times of great need, he believed. He wrote, all believers called upon in simple confidence of faith are to cast all their burdens on God, to trust in Him for everything. And not only to make everything a subject of prayer, but to expect answers to petitions which have been asked according to His will and in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know what you're dealing with in your life today. Perhaps you have a great need for the Lord to provide. Maybe the Lord needs to provide for some financial need in your life or faith as you endure some suffering. Perhaps the Lord is directing you after having prayed a whole week for missions, directing you to the nations, and you just don't know how to go about that. Maybe there's a coworker the Lord has placed upon your heart who's been particularly antagonistic to the gospel and to you. Maybe you suffered some loss and you're trying to figure out how to put your life back together again. Maybe you're just stressed out about Christmas being just a few weeks away. 
No matter who you are, whatever your need is, I hope that you see from this passage that Jesus Christ is your sufficient provider and is Himself your provision. The way that God provided for George Mueller is not unusual, for God always takes care of His own. And that's the big idea this morning, that Jesus Christ is your sufficient provider, that He is your all-satisfying provision. Trust Him in your life and in ministry. Trust Him in your life and in your ministry. Well, we've all come off of a week of praying for global missions, and I trust that the Lord was pleased in hearing your prayers for the unreached. This week, I heard from one of the missionaries that we support in Cambodia, and I want to say thank you for praying for him yesterday. Um, He tells me that his language learnings are going well, and that if if the Lord was pleased to enable him, He will have preached his first sermon in the Khmer language just a few hours ago. And so we're thankful for that. Thank you for praying. Actually, you know what? Let's just take a minute. Can we just pray that the Lord would use that sermon of our brothers fruitfully? Father, we come to you now humbled by the privilege that you give to us as your people to be connected to those who live on the other side of the earth doing the same gospel ministry as we're doing here. We thank you for the ability that you've given us to support others. We pray that you would use our brother's sermon fruitfully to encourage your own people and to draw sinners to salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen. Very simple outline this morning, and it is this. When needs are insurmountable, when you are insufficient, Christ is inexhaustible. When needs are insurmountable, which we'll see in verses 10 to 11. When you are insufficient, which we'll see in verses 12 to 14, the first part of 14. Then Christ is inexhaustible, which I trust we'll see at the end of verse 14 down to 17. So let's get to, work, get to work when needs are insurmountable. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 again. So the apostles are returning from their trip, from their missions trip that Jesus sent them out on. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So the apostles are riding on a high coming off of this mission trip. The Lord, if you remember from last week, empowered them to preach the gospel, to perform signs and wonders. And while they were on mission, they saw God move. They saw God provide for them. And if you've ever been on a missions trip before and seen the Lord work, then you probably know what these boys are feeling. They tell Jesus all about the trip. And notice how Luke phrases it in verse 10. They tell Jesus all they had done. And Jesus leaves that alone. So what does Jesus do instead? He takes them away for some rest. They withdraw together to a town called Bethsaida. Bethsaida is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It was a restful and peaceful place. 
It was the perfect place to go for a retreat. So Jesus and the twelve, withdrawing to a wilderness of sorts to be together and rest. Can you imagine this? Camping with the Lord Jesus Christ under the stars of heaven. Conversations with Jesus around a campfire. Can you imagine the theological discussions that you would have? Could you imagine the questions that you'd be able to ask and have answered? I think I'd be willing to sell internal organs to be at a retreat like that. Well, but the retreat was not to be. Because verse 11 tells us that the crowd learned about where Jesus and the disciples went, and they followed them into the wilderness, and they ruined the retreat. But this, is, this was Jesus' life. This is not an uncommon thing. This is everywhere Jesus goes, people follow him. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's pouring out into people. Everywhere people come to him and are in need of him. Sarah and I are working our way through Mark's gospel with our kids. And several times in Mark's gospel, Mark tells us there were so many people, there was so much ministry, we didn't even have time to eat. Which is exactly the kind of thing we'd expect from an eyewitness, remembering what happened. We didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus could have just as easily as I would have had done, sent them away. Now is not the time for ministry, folks. This is me and my 12. But that's not what Jesus does. He has compassion on the crowd there. In Mark's gospel, he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And this is just so like the Lord. People pressing in on him from every angle. They're taking from him. They're taking from him. They're taking from him. And then more people are lining up to take from him. And instead of seeing this mass of people as a drain, as a distraction from the real ministry, Jesus is moved with compassion. And he begins to speak with them about the kingdom of God and to cure those in need of healing. This crowd in the wilderness is just as much about this people as it is about the disciples, as we will see. Because the Lord Jesus is teaching His disciples that people aren't a hindrance to ministry. People are the ministry. And this is something that we've all got to know about Jesus. Your neediness does not turn Jesus away from you. It turns him toward you. And some of you have heard me say this a dozen times. But neediness and weakness feels like a liability. But it might be your greatest strength. That your insufficiency might be Jesus' favorite thing about you. I'm just going to keep on saying that until you believe it. Until God in His mercy takes the flex out of you.
Because my fellow Americans, neediness is not a handicap. But self-sufficiency might be. Neediness is the stage upon which the Lord performs His greatest feats. For He told the Apostle that my power is made perfect in weakness. And so why would we hide the thing in which His power is perfected? Independence might be a good political virtue, but spiritually it is suicide. And because the Lord loves His people, because the Lord loves you, He seems to always put His people into places where their neediness, their insufficiency is highlighted. He loves to put His people into situations where their neediness is highlighted so that His power can be displayed. And yet, many of us live and spend most of our time trying to find ways to remove our weaknesses, to mask them. We treat weakness like it's a problem to be fixed rather than a virtue in which to boast. So could it be that the situation that you're in right now is foregrounding your weaknesses and your inabilities, and that is the thing that the Lord is using to foreground His glorious strength in your life? Needs are constant. Needs are insurmountable. Some of you have family needs, financial needs, work needs, health needs, car repair needs. And and could it be that this is by the wise design of your Creator who wants you to know that you are not enough? You don't have to be enough. Because there is one who is enough. Trust Him. So it seems that on the heels of the success of this mission trip, the Lord wants to teach His disciples that they aren't sufficient. Jesus, look at all we did. Follow me, boys. And learn this lesson. Let's pick up reading in verse 12. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to Jesus, Send the crowd away and go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. We're here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. Let's were to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Now, it's getting late in the afternoon. It's the spring of the year. It gets dark around 6. Picture this scene. There is a sea of people in the wilderness with Jesus. And He's teaching them. 
And he's healing them. People are lining up. Lives are being changed. And then off to the side, the disciples are conferring with one another. And together, they come to Jesus. And they tap him on the shoulder. Excuse me, sir, it'll be just a minute. Jesus, come here. We've been talking. We think you're done. <laughs> Send the people away. Tell them to go find a place to sleep and get food. And they don't ask Jesus what he wants them to do with all these people. Oh, they've already made up their minds what Jesus should do. They're telling Jesus what to do. The Greek in this verse is the, in the imperative. They are commanding Jesus, send them away. Now, I don't know how much of the Bible you've read. But usually in the Bible, when someone finds themselves in a place where they're telling God what he should do, it doesn't work out well. But let's give the disciples a break. Verse 14 said that there are 5,000 men. And you have to think that some of those men brought their wives. And you have to think some of those couples couldn't find a babysitter, so they brought their kids. There might be more than 10,000 people in the wilderness with Jesus in a desolate place. And apparently, no one thought to pack food. <laughs> and there's, there's no DoorDash in Bethsaida. This is just poor planning. I mean, who, whose fault is it that they don't have food? It's their fault they didn't have food. You came all this way to follow Jesus in the wilderness? You didn't think to pack something? So the, Jesus, so the disciples are just telling Jesus, I mean, do the math. These, these poor planning people just need to go get their food somewhere else. Additionally, it's probably been a very long day for the disciples. It may have been a long string of days for the disciples. They're probably looking forward to this camping trip with Jesus. They're, maybe they're hoping to salvage something of this retreat that he talked about. Well, whatever their reasons, they find themselves issuing commands to the commander. And as commanders are prone to do, he fires back. Verse 13. You can imagine Jesus, he's scanning the crowd, the disciples are standing in front of him, and then he looks at his twelve with his piercing eyes. They're hungry, you say? And then he leans in, so feed them. The word you in this verse is emphatic in the original language. He's saying, you give them something to eat. You twelve, feed them. There's only a thousand people per disciple. Feed them. It's an imperative. It's an imperative like all the other imperatives. This is a command from the king of heaven and earth. Feed them. And the disciples respond to Jesus like any of us might respond to Jesus. Seriously, like we got five loaves and two fish, which according to the other Gospels, they stole from some little kid because apparently he was the only one who thought to bring food into the wilderness. 
You want us to feed 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish? Jesus, this is how riots get started. And then one of them is like, maybe we can go, buy, go into town and we'll buy food. I'm not good at math, but it seems really expensive. So these boys, high off of their missions trip, having seen God work through them, having witnessed His provision in their own life, having already witnessed this Jesus tell a storm to close its mouth and it listened, this, these boys in the wilderness are confronted with their own insufficiencies. What is so little for so much? Five loaves, two fish, we, we can't. Well, what the disciples don't realize is that their retreat hasn't been ruined. <laughs> They're on it. This is the discussion around the campfire. What Jesus is about to do for the crowd in a couple of verses is one thing. It's one meal. It's going to last one day. But what Jesus is going to do for his disciples will last a lifetime. And may I remind you that nothing in Jesus' life happens by accident. The Lord brought the disciples to Bethsaida, knowing that He would be followed, knowing that the need would be great, knowing what He would have to do to meet that need. And Jesus brings His disciples to a desolate place with nothing in their hands and then sets a mountainous need in front of them and tells them, level it. So the theme of this retreat becomes clear. The need is insurmountable. You are insufficient. But I got this. You're going to have to trust me. Let's pick up reading in verse 14. And Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. The way that Luke records this event, the miracle doesn't appear until verse 17. In verse 14, and in verse 15, and in verse 16, the disciples are going to have to act in faith and obedience to what Jesus tells them to do, not at all knowing what he was about to do. And so Jesus tells everyone to sit down in groups of 50, but he doesn't 
tell them why. I mean, probably the disciples had some sense that this had to do with the feeding of the people. But they still had no idea how this was going to happen. Now, this part might be the miracle before the miracle. There's 5,000 hungry men, and there are 12 apostles. All of them, by the way, are probably in their late teens, early 20s. Now, men are men the world round. Getting 5,000 of them to do anything without giving them a reason they agree with, that's a miracle. Getting 5,000 men to sit crisscross applesauce in groups of 50 without telling them why is a miracle of God. Like with all the power and persuasion in the world, I don't think I could get half of you men to sit in a different pew this morning. But these men were able to get 5,000 men to meet in groups of 50. Verse 16, Jesus takes the loaves, the two fish, he looks to heaven and he says a blessing. He knew his father would provide. He's teaching his disciples. This mountainous need in front of you, don't look at the mountain, look above the mountain. Look up to heaven. Maybe that's the reason why the mountain's so tall. So you have to look up and keep looking up. George Mueller had a dining hall of hungry orphans and he looked to God. And God provided. Moses had a couple million people in the wilderness who were hungry. And he looked to God and God provided. And so Jesus is just telling his boys, look to heaven. Now, I don't know how this went down. I don't know what it looked like. Like in my mind, Jesus is here and there's like 10,000 hungry people over here, and they're all sat down in nice little groups, and they see Jesus with a little bit of food in his hand, praying, and the implications are clear, and their mouths are starting to water. And in between these two groups is the disciples facing Jesus. And Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it into smaller pieces, and then he gives it to the twelve, and he looks at his disciples, and he does that like finger swirl thing, and he says, now feed them. You imagine Peter just shaking his head, I ain't turning around. <laughs> I won't look at him. Andrew's trying to find a place to hide because he knows what's about to go down. And I have no idea how this miracle worked. Like, did Jesus create more loaves and more fish like he did at creation? I don't know how the science works. It's a miracle. That's why it's called a miracle. The verb gave in verse 16 appears in a tense which seems to indicate that Jesus kept giving bread to the disciples to set before the people. So apparently, the disciples kept taking pieces of bread, putting it in a basket maybe, and then setting it before the people, and then coming back to Jesus to get more. 
which they did. Until verse 17 says, everyone ate till they were full. However this miracle happens, the meaning of this miracle is very clear. This isn't about fish and bread, is it? This miracle is a message to the twelve and through them to all of us that when a need is insurmountable and when you are insufficient, your Savior is inexhaustible. Turn and face Jesus. He is sufficient. What is so little for so much? It's plenty in Jesus' hands. Church, when your problem is great, your provider is greater. Look to heaven. Trust in Jesus Christ. Brother pastors, anchor your soul and your ministry to this text. For your Lord is going to put you into situations, into conversations with your people that will expose your inabilities. And you're going to have to do as the apostles and go to the Lord for bread and set it before them. Brother, sister, deacons, Anchor your soul and your ministry to this text. You are going to have phone calls and conversations. You're going to take prayer requests that expose your insufficiencies. You keep coming to your master and taking bread from his hand and laying it before those you serve. Parents, grandparents, you will find yourself in conversations with your children or with your grandchildren that will far exceed your own wisdom and abilities. You may find yourself with sick babies, and you can't do anything about that. You may find yourself with a teenager questioning her faith. You may find yourself with aging parents and not sure what to do. You may find yourself with a spouse suffering from dementia. You may find yourself with medical bills piling up. You may find yourself in a loveless marriage. You may find yourself in a situation where you are called upon to share the gospel, but you do not know what to say. You may find yourself with the feeling of going to the nations, but you don't even know where to start. You may feel the Lord leading you to foster or to adopt. And you have no idea where the funds are going to come from. Whatever situation you find yourself in, the solution is always the same. Turn to the Lord Jesus. When the need is a mountain, turn to the one who created the mountains. And like the apostles, you're going to have to trust that Jesus will meet the need. Because through them, Everyone ate and was satisfied. Five loaves and two fish has been feeding 5,000 for centuries and will for all of eternity.
my non-Christian guest, I'm glad you came to church today. I hope that you see that this passage isn't really about food. It's about the one who meets needs. And you've come here today, and I'm sure you don't know what your greatest need is. It's not for food. It's not for a free and stable society. It's not for someone to love. Your greatest need is that you would be reconciled to your Creator. For you, having lived the way you want to live, having sinned against the God of heaven, you've created a chasm between yourself and Him. And something needs to be done about that chasm lest you spend eternity under God's judgment. Well, friend, the message of these here in this room is that something has been done. This same God, He sent His Son to bridge that gap, to close that chasm. That Jesus lived sinlessly in this life, died on the cross to pay the penalty that was needed to close that gap. And friend, when you turn to Him today in faith, trusting in Him, your sin will be forgiven. The gap will be closed. And you will be reconciled to your Savior. Don't leave here today still in your sin with that chasm between you. Tell someone after the service today that you'd like to become a Christian. I know it's the holidays. I know we're all busy. But I can promise you that these people will rearrange their whole schedule to begin meeting with you and telling you more about Jesus. The last sentence in verse 17 might be the most encouraging one of them all. After a long day of serving, of pouring out, of meeting needs, of helping to satisfy the hunger of the crowd, who, who knows how long that took? Luke tells us that after everyone ate and was satisfied, there was food left over. How much food? Twelve baskets worth of food. And that number 12 is no accident. What else in this passage carries that number? The number of the apostles. Twelve baskets. The twelve apostles. It seems the Lord would have his disciples know. I'm not just going to meet the need. I'm going to meet your need. In your service and your ministry to the people of God, there's always going to be a basket of broken pieces left over with your name on it. This was the lesson of their retreat to Bethsaida. And the Lord would have his people know he's not only their provider, he's their provision. That whatever they would need in life and in ministry, it was found in him. And that's a good place for us to land.
of whatever you need in your life this week, look to heaven. Come to Jesus and take everything that you need from his hand. His supply is inexhaustible. You may commit a sin this week that you've committed before. That you've committed before that. That you've committed before that. You keep coming to him. And you'll find his mercy is inexhaustible. This mountain set before you has been designed by him to draw you to him. So that you would learn to trust him. So that you would learn to satisfy your soul in him. When the need is insurmountable, when you are insufficient, Jesus is inexhaustible. Trust him for your life and ministry. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the eternal blessed God, the source and supply of all of our lives. You gave us life. You saved us by your son. And now, ask, now Lord, we ask you to forgive us. We ask you to forgive us, your people, for making our needs too big and for making your son too small. Forgive us for neglecting to pray when we have needs. Forgive us for grumbling and complaining rather than praying and praising. Enable us, O oh Lord, to live for you and to trust you for provision and to never be satisfied with anything but you. And let Jesus' love, the love that we see on the cross, Compel us to holy obedience, to trust, and to joy. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible offers you many assurances that God has pardoned you. Today's assurance of pardon comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy. And deserving the full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Brother, lead us in a word of final song.